You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. So this is chapter 20. And let me say that because of the nature of the service tonight, and I've already mentioned this to a parent or two, and because some of the... Um, well, we're going to be looking at the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And some of the material that I'm going to read may be um, of the kind of, of the nature that if you have grade school or if you have uh, preschool children, you might want to take them to Awanas right now. Uh, I would encourage you to do that um, because I am going to be reading some material which is not sexually explicit, but which is designed to show us as a congregation where we are as a nation in terms of being bloodthirsty. So I would encourage you, if you have children, you might want to take them. In fact, I would say do that. Take them to uh, Awana or someplace because it would be much, much better for them than uh, uh, to be in this service this evening. Thank you for doing that very much. I'm going to be speaking on this commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And in a few moments I'm going to be uh, reading some information to you from a book which I wrote about six years ago which is designed specifically to share uh, in a convincing fashion with uh, our congregation, with those who would read it, uh, just where we are as a nation in terms of being bloodthirsty. And thank you, all you parents. God bless you for your... Uh, that was, this is not a trick to get your kids in Awana, you understand. Oh, that's a good thing, good place for them. But this is uh, definitely uh, with a purpose because I, I uh, as a father and... Uh, having had small children, now having uh, grandchildren, I'm a real believer that uh, uh, it's important for us to mind what we listen to. Little pitchers have big ears, right? And uh, that's very important for us to make sure that what goes into the hearts and minds of our children is something that God will bless. And I want to be timely in what I say. Stand with me, if you will, please. Exodus chapter 20, if you're a guest here this evening... Let me say to you that we are studying through the book of Exodus. We're on a journey through the book of Exodus. And we have come to that portion of Scripture which contains in it what we call the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, uh, the Ten Words. And, of course, there are three different times when God gives this to the children of Israel. The first time is in an oral fashion. That's what we're reading here, God actually speaking uh, to Moses and through Moses to the children of Israel. And so if you will look at verse 13 and underline this verse because it is the commandment for our consideration this evening. Thou shalt not kill. Let's say that together. Thou shalt not kill. All right? And we're going to be looking at that in the next few moments. Father, I pray that you would give clarity to our thought and to our speech. Uh, to my speech, Father, I pray that... Um, you would penetrate our hearts with the truth of this, which is your word. And Lord, help us as believers in Christ to learn what it means to respect this commandment. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. I want to begin the uh, message this evening by speaking to you in terms of definition. When the scripture speaks in no uncertain terms and says, you shall not kill, uh, to what is it referring? You see, you have a, a broad spectrum of people here in the world. On the one hand, you have people who believe that uh, 
Well, like those of the Hindu religion believe, that every bit of life form is not only life form, but it's vested with a, an actual soul. And of course, because they believe reincarnation, they believe that that, that ant may, in fact, have been your ant. Um, that, that every kind of living being, living creature has a soul. And uh, there are people, I mean, there are people in our own nation who believe that. Now, to be perfectly honest, uh, the Scripture makes a specific differentiation between the soul and spirit of a human being and all other animals in the world, especially cats, I would imagine. Um, I just had to throw that in because... My... Anyway, um, <clears throat> the point being, animal life is not the same as human life in that it's uh, vested with a spirit. Uh, I'll have to tell you of an interesting story, and, and Joe and Dorothy Cox will appreciate this uh, very much. Some, some years ago, the Coxes, well, not long ago, the Coxes had a uh, Cocker Spaniel, which they love very dearly. In fact, uh, that Cocker, their Cocker Spaniel, our Cocker Spaniel, very good friends. And um, uh, we loved our Cocker Spaniel very dearly. And um, ours went on to Cocker Spaniel heaven before theirs did, as a matter of fact, but not long before theirs did. Their Cocker Spaniel was named Honey. Well, uh, one day I received uh, word, somebody had told me to call the office, and, or I think it was Jeannie, and said, well, you know, the Cox's dog, Honey, has died. And I thought, you know, that was really sad because that is really a heart-wrenching uh, kind of experience when, when, you know, a pet that you've had for all those years and love dies. Not that we believe it has a soul, but you know how it sort of works your way into yours. And um, just a little bit after that, I got a word from Southeastern Seminary that the wife of the president of Southeastern, I'm not the wife, but the mother of the president of Southeastern Seminary had uh, passed away. And so I immediately said to Mary Jo, I said, you need to send a uh, large bouquet of flowers from our church to um, the Pattersons and, and tell them, you know, we're really sorry for them and we're, uh, uh, you know, we're going to be praying for them. Um, in the death of uh, Dr. Patterson's mother. Uh, I got a letter back uh, a week or so later from Dorothy uh, saying, thank you so much for the spray of flowers, um, uh, you know, that you sent us at the death of honey. And, uh, you know, and then it went on to say some things, which I, you know, I know Dorothy, and I, I, I didn't think she believed this. She says, you know, honey affected lots of people's lives here on this earth and affected a lot of people's lives in heaven, and we'll, you know, and uh, you know, we know she's with the Lord now. And I thought, you know, I'm, you know, honey's a good dog and everything. But uh, um, and then I began to think, you know, and it was signed Dorothy, and uh, I thought, you know, so I called Jeannie. I said, did we send these flowers to the wrong house? And she said, well, look at that letter again. Well, uh, it just so happens that Paige's wife is named Dorothy, and Paige's mother was called Honey, and so I was safe. I did the right thing, but for a few minutes there, I was. The best part of this was that I called Joe and I said, you're not going to believe what happened. And Joe said, well, Dorothy really does feel that way about honey. And he said, that wouldn't have been, said you wouldn't have shocked her if you'd have sent that to her. Um, well, with all due, having said all that, that's not where we're going with this message. Uh, but the point is this, animal life is different than human life, okay? And, but you have those people on the one end who, who have this, this idea, you know, that, that, that um, you know, animal life is sacred here. Well, I believe life is sacred. Uh, and I believe it ought to be treated properly, but, but there is a difference between animal life and human life. You have people on the other end of the spectrum who say 
animal life, I mean, human life is no different than animal life. And as a matter of fact, they sometimes hold themselves up as being the arbiters over which humans ought to live and which humans ought to die. In fact, there are people in this world who believe that certain groups of human beings ought to die and that it's their God-given responsibility to, uh, you know, these zealots to, to uh, annihilate the earth, to clean off the earth. Here you have like a, uh, a Hitler in Nazi Germany who believed, well, you know, it's my, my right and my responsibility to eliminate, to purge the world of a certain group of people. Well, there, there you have that big spectrum here, see. And so in the middle of that, you know, what does the Scripture say? That's what we're after here tonight. And as I said, by way of definition, when the Bible speaks about killing, thou shalt not kill, it is in reference to something different than the loss of life which takes place in the defense of your life or your family or even your national borders or the sovereign freedoms of other nations. If a military uh, group from our nation goes to another country to help fight for their freedoms, it's not referring to that. Um, it is uh, not referring to the discharge of a responsibility to which you've been assigned. Maybe you're a policeman or uh, a law officer and you've been assigned specific responsibility and you have been entrusted with the watch care to protect society from those who would would look upon it in a cavalier look upon life in a cavalier fashion and just uh, just take life you know indiscriminately and so your job is to protect us from people like that. It's not referring to that, to, to the life that might be lost in the carrying out of that responsibility. As a matter of fact, the Scripture specifically says that the in the book of Romans that the government does not wield its sword in vain. And the word sword there in the Scripture is the Greek word for the sword of execution. So it's not uh, denying the role of government in that fashion. And uh, so the Bible nowhere speaks against, for instance, capital punishment. Nor does it say that you should not protect yourself or protect others. We know that Israel itself had armies. We know that much of the um, uh, analogies that are, many of the analogies that are used in the New Testament are, are military analogies. So it's not referring to that. So, so what is it referring to when it speaks about not killing here? I think that's, that's what I want to get to before we look at the study itself. It's referring to the indiscriminate, cavalier approach to human life that says it is expendable at my judgment. Uh, and it might happen without being premeditated. It may be in a fit of anger, but it is premeditated to some extent in that I... I um, a long time ago may have decided that life is not very valuable, so if I just get mad at you, whether it's road rage or something of that nature, I can just say, hey, your life is worthless. My life's more important than your life. Um, it is referring to many times the premeditated destruction of life, especially life, I would think, in the womb. As a matter of fact, if you read in Proverbs 24, the Scripture says, See those who are being drawn unto death, talking about helpless or defenseless people drawn unto death. It says, Deliver them. Oh, hold them back. And if you say that we did not know it, for instance, if you just close your eyes to the fact that there are one and a half million abortions in our nation every year, and you just close your eyes to that, it says, Will not he who ponders the heart consider it, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? And so I think you get the picture as to how the, 
the killing in this commandment, thou shalt not kill, is different from uh, these other events in which human life may or may not be lost in the discharges, as I said, of responsibility or in the protection of uh, self or family, uh, protection of other life. A man asked me one time, as a matter of fact, a guy asked me one time in a, uh, on a, uh, a television broadcast, he said, how is it that you conservative Christians who, who believe that n babies should not be aborted, how could you believe that uh, abortionists deserve the sentence of death, capital punishment? I, I said, well, you know, the truth of the matter is they have become killers. They are killers. That, that baby's not attacking them, that child is not doing anything, that child has every right to live inside that womb, but they have chosen to, to exterminate the life of that child. And uh, so there is this whole issue before us. So that, that's the kind of killing the Bible is in reference to, not just abortion, but the kind of uh, killing where a person either in a premeditated fashion or maybe with very little thought has come to the conclusion that life is cheap and life can be expended according to my judgment, whether I think it's good or bad. And if I, and by the way, this would include euthanasia, what many people call mercy killing today. We've come to a point in our nation where we have a technology that is so far beyond our ability to handle it Ralph Spees right now, in fact, Ralph wrote me one of the most brilliant uh, treatises last night, sent it to me on the email. It's called Deathbed e uh, Ethics, in which he was working out, he was verbalizing the position he was taking as he was sitting there hour after hour at the death, what will be the deathbed of his mother, unless some miracle occurs when she goes out to meet the, the Lord. And so he said, God is bringing me to a fresh understanding that it is not within our responsibility to consider when somebody's life is useful or not useful. And he went on to say there are many times when even his mother in a senile condition has been used of God to speak words that would be incredible. I mean, here is a, a, a woman who for a year or two has not said much that's made any kind of sense who looked at her lost daughter two weeks ago, called her by name and said, Jesus is the only way. Just, I mean, out of all that babbling came those words. So who are we to say, well, you know, let's, let's, let's consign her to death because, I mean, her days have come to an end and we ought to just take her life. See, that's the kind, that, that's what it's talking about here. Are, are you with me? Not, not your head like that. Yes, we are with you, Brother Tom. Okay, good. Now, have, so it's distinguished from these other kinds of events, wars and things of that nature carrying out responsibility which has been assigned to you by government. It is distinguished from that. It's where you become the judge and you become the jury and the issue is what you want to do because it's a matter of your convenience or the explosion of your rage or uh, your decision that somebody is or is not useful. All right? And that's what we're talking about here. Now, having said that, let's just look at this commandment, thou shalt not kill. I want to say five things about this commandment. I've got this book right here. By the way, uh, Rick Boyd back there, sitting back there, he's the one that designed the cover. If you don't like the cover, go talk to Rick. Actually, it was my idea, wasn't it, Rick? You just drew what I... Yeah, I can't remember. If it's good, it was my idea. If it's not very good, go talk to Rick about it. Actually, Rick is the artist on this. 
All right, I want to make several statements here. First of all, this commandment, thou shalt not kill, is a revealing commandment. It is a revealing commandment. You ought to write that down someplace. It's a revealing commandment. What does it reveal? It reveals two things. Number one, it reveals God's opinion of life. He says life is a gift, and I am the one who gives it, and because of that, it is not within the purview of your responsibility to take it in a cavalier fashion. If you read the 139th Psalm, uh, you would read there, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says God knew us before the first molecules came together in the womb, and it was in the womb that he, we were, where we were conceived that, that he protected us. And so uh, the Bible speaks in no uncertain terms about God's estimation of life. It is something he gives and not something he gives us the privilege of playing God with, okay? Now, having said that, let me just say that we have become a bloodthirsty nation. It's no wonder what's happening to us as a nation, the, the killings in these, the, the high schools and in the classrooms and the road rage and, and the other things. It's no wonder what's happening to us. Uh, the reason I brought this along is not because I want you to go out there and get it. I'm not even sure George still has any more out there, so I'm not trying to sell it, although it would do you well if you did buy it. Um, but, I, but I, let me just give you some illustrations as to how bloodthirsty we have become as a nation. And this is the reason I asked you to take your children out uh, a while ago. Uh, not long ago, the uh, motion picture industry uh, gave out an award. It gave it its highest award, best picture of the year. I'm going to read you two about two films that were in two consecutive years awarded best picture of the year. Okay. Uh, one of these motion pictures was entitled The Silence of the Lambs. Um, John Evans, uh, who's a movie critic, uh, previewed the movie in a, in, or wrote about the movie in a book called Preview. Uh, he described the opening scene. Now, here it is. A female FBI agent interrogates a prisoner charged with some of the most brutal cannibalistic types of murders imaginable. As he recounts his heinous crimes, they are vividly portrayed across the motion picture screen. Pictured in this movie, which Hollywood now has called its best, is a man sewing human skin with a sewing machine, female victims with parts of their skin and fingers missing, a man skinning off the face of a prison guard, a full view of a nude transvestite, seminal fluid being thrown in a woman's face, dead bodies with their private organs exposed, and throughout the movie, of course, they use vulgar and offensive language. And this is what Hollywood says is our best movie. Now, that was followed the next year, in 1992, by a movie titled The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. I'm going to read you the review, and I'm going to read you what the Hollywood critics said about it. Um, the movie begins with a brutal beating of an unclothed man while the central figure of the movie stands over him and empties his bladder. The movie ends with the same man slicing a piece of flesh off an elegantly prepared and cooked corpse, making it one of the most vivid pictures of cannibalism ever shown. Also featured in this highly acclaimed motion picture is necrophilia, sex with a dead corpse, the bloody and sadistic mutilation of a nine-year-old boy, another victim smeared with human feces, a woman whose face is pierced through with a fork, and so on. Now, all these Hollywood people can tell you they're concerned about society. They can say all, all about that that they want. But listen to this. You would expect us to be outraged by that, right? Here's what uh, Karen James in the New York Times, which considers itself rather sophisticated, she said, this motion picture is brilliant 
And Time Magazine, probably a lot of you subscribe to Time, and you, you know, if Time Magazine says it, you believe it. Time Magazine said of that movie, the picture is excellent, exciting, and extraordinary. You see, you just don't realize how far we've come. If you, um, if you were to turn on MTV uh, on your, your cable vision and uh, just start writing down the names of the groups which sing, you would understand how preoccupied with killing we are as a nation. And you wonder why these things are happening in these schools. Uh, let me read you a partial listing of popular rock groups, okay? Just a partial listing. And let me, let me just ask if you can catch the drift, okay? Annihilator, Atrocity, Biohazard, Carnivore, The Coroner, The Dam, Dark Angel, Demolition, Atheist, Autopsy, Black Sabbath, Megadeth, Morbid Angel, Obituary, Onslaught, Death Angel, Destruction, Entombed, Heathen, Legion of Death, Massacre, Monstrosity, Napalm Death, Poison, Devastation, Guillotine, House of Freaks, these are music groups, House of Freaks, Malice, Violence, The Zombies, Oblivion, Pestilence, Slaughter, Social Distortion, Suicidal Tendencies, Torch, Venom, Slayer, Sodom, Thrasher, and Ultimate Revenge. Can you get a little bit of the picture of where we're headed here? Now, these are the popular groups, and, and you might say that, um, uh, you know, this doesn't really bother our children. The truth of the matter is, uh, in fact, one guy said that, uh, I don't believe the kids listen to the words. Focus on the Family did a, a survey of these children and discovered that 90%, well, that Teenagers know 90% of the words and believe 60% of them. Now, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, that we live in a culture which is preoccupied with this idea that, that life out there is to be taken if you just good and well please. And so no wonder we have some of the things happening in our schools and in our nation that we have. This is, a, this is a revealing commandment, right? I mean, this, when you say, thou shalt not kill, that runs against the grain of our society, which is bloodthirsty, preoccupied. And you would, you would expect it so because Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. And so the more you give yourself over the devil, the more you're going to be preoccupied with killing and stealing and destroying. They took a survey of fourth, fifth, and sixth grade children in a Christian school. And in the survey, they found out that, that some of the favorite movies the children were watching were like Friday the 13th and Nightmare of the Dead. And, and here's a child in a Christian school who says, I like the way he slices heads off, or I like the way people look when they're dead. And this is in a Christian school. And, and so what I'm saying is this commandment, you know, we just, everybody just sort of sails along and says, thou shalt not kill. Oh, sure, yeah, thou shalt not kill. We know thou shalt not kill. No, we don't know thou shalt not kill. We haven't got that into the fabric of our society. We may know it's one of the Ten Commandments, but we don't have that in the fabric of our society. So it's a revealing command. The second thing I want to say to you is this. It's a rigid command. I don't need to belabor this. I don't have time to belabor it. I've used up all my time reading my book. Uh, but here's the point. 
You know, you see that little phrase, what part of no don't you understand? What part of this commandment don't you understand? It's just four words, thou shalt not kill. So what part of that would you not understand? What part of that could you not grasp? It's just rigid. I mean, it means what it says. There's no hidden meaning out here. As a matter of fact, get this, the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount amplifies this command. And in amplifying this command, he said, I want to tell you where killing begins. He said, I'm going to tell you where I chalk it up to you. He said, it's not, when you, it's not just when you actually take somebody's life. But he says, basically, you know, you hear the phrase in there, you know, when you say thou fool or worthless. He said, when you basically consider that a person's life is worthless, you have committed that in your heart. In other words, that it is of no value whatsoever. And here again, we're not talking about now enemies of society. We're not talk, speaking here of carrying out your duty. We're not talking about the military defending. You know, we're not talking about any of that. It's when you become judge and jury and you decide who ought to live and who ought not to live and whose life is worth having on this earth and whose is not or what baby ought to be born or what baby ought not to be born or what senior adult ought to live or what senior adult ought to be killed. And so it's a very rigid command. Let me just mention a third statement, and that is it's a rational command. It's a rational command. Listen to this. I, I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? You knew that. Some of you do know that, that uh, for a good part of my life, I studied history and, and taught it briefly in a university setting. And I want to tell you this. Every nation that comes that has, in history, every nation that has come to a point where human life was valued cheaply, every nation that's done that has passed off the scene. And I'll guarantee you that every one of those nations, let's take the Roman society, before that happened, you know, people were sitting around just like you and I were saying, said, well, it may have happened, you know, to the Greeks, but it's not going to happen to the Romans. Oh, hey, listen, you know, you're not going to shake your fist in God's face and get away with it. Our nation's not going to shake our fist in God's face and get away with it. This is a big deal I'm talking about, folks. This is a, this is a big deal, see, that we're talking about. Somebody said, why are you so, why are, Tom, why are you so angry sometimes at what you call a corrupt judiciary system which lets killers walk? Because I believe that's an abrogation of Scripture. That's why. It doesn't, you say, well, you ought to believe in, in life. Right, I believe in life, that's why they shouldn't walk. You say, well, can't they be forgiven of God? Sure, confess your sins, trust in Jesus, but that doesn't deny the fact that there is a penalty to be paid. And the failure to, to fail to exact that penalty doesn't limit it, it just increases it in society. You've got to understand that. And this is where we are as a nation. So it's a revealing command. It's a, it's a rigid command. Don't do it. It's a rational command. I mean, the, the more you talk about it, the more you portray it on television, you can't watch television without seeing dozens of murders in any given evening. 
I mean, you think life is just meant to be, it's just meant to be, you know, slamming people around and getting angry with them and throw them out of windows and shooting them and blowing them, blowing them away. And so we're headed toward chaos because of our indiscriminate view of the value of human life. And so that brings me to the fourth statement I want to make, and that is that in our nation, this is a rejected command right now. This is a rejected command. Anytime we ever believe that us getting what we want, our way, my having the lane on the highway I want is worth running you off the road. Anytime we ever get that point, and that's just one small evidence which has come home to roost in Oklahoma City. We thought that always just happened on the California freeways, right? You know, I mean, I have been a victim. You've been a victim. I mean, I've had to pull off the road before up against bridge abutments to keep, to keep from being run off the road by people who are just in a rage. So it's not just California and the East and West Coast. It's not just that. I mean, anytime we begin to think that, it, that me getting my way is worth jeopardizing your life or taking it, we are in trouble as a nation. And we, that's where we are. We have rejected the command of God. Which brings me to the last statement, and that is that it needs to be for us. You, you say, well, what can we do about that? Well, you need to start with you. It needs to be a respected command. Anytime you can speak out against abortion, you need to speak out against abortion. Anytime you can express your opinion about what you think of people who, who believe life can be taken in a cavalier fashion, you ought to express your opinion. You say, well, nobody's going to listen to me. I'll tell you one sure way for them not to listen to you, and that's don't say anything. They got nothing to listen to then. You say, well, I'm just one voice crying in the wilderness. Okay, be one voice crying in the wilderness. But you and I have a responsibility to say, look, God created human life. It is precious. It is valuable. It is His, not ours. And we cannot, with some cavalier fashion, A, take it, nor B, allow others in society to take life in that fashion. Or C, allow our media and others to portray the taking of life in such a fashion where the bad guys are, end up being the good guys, which is where we are in our media right now. I mean, we have... Uh, no good role models. We have lots of heroes out there, but no good role models. And in many instances, the bad guys are portrayed as the good guys. And so, uh, you know, I realize that this has been a hard week for you, and you came to Wednesday night to get really pepped up for the rest of the week and really encouraged and everything. It just so happens to be this is the commandment we're on, and we can't dodge this bullet, no pun intended. The Scripture says life is God's. And you're to consider it valuably. If somebody else has taken other people's life indiscriminately, you're to get in the middle of that. And you are to have such a high view of life that, that you won't sit around and digest the kind of media that just cheapens life with its slaughter and with its carnage that you're going to take a stand against that. You're going to say something about that. You're going to do something about that. Does that make sense, what I'm saying tonight? I pray that it does. Father, I pray thanking you for your word. I thank you for the fact that your scripture is truth. Lord, I thank you that you're so concerned that in the middle of these commandments here, you drop this bombshell, 
Don't kill. It's just one that ties the divine purpose with human welfare. And so, Lord, we want to come together tonight to express our desire to respect this commandment that the world is rejecting. Father, I pray we'd rise to your standard. And I pray we would live out your standard. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. It's always a little bit uh, touchy giving an invitation at the end of a sermon like this because you say, if I came forward, they'd all think I'd kill somebody. I understand that. That's not, uh, that's not the truth right now. This is an invitation time where we allow the Lord to speak to our heart. I believe that there are any number of people here this evening who may want to come to this altar because you have a prayer need. You have some need in your heart, in your life. Maybe uh, you want to visit with a counselor, and I'm going to ask them to come right now, and they're going to be here at the front to meet you as you come. It could be that God's speaking to your heart about joining this church. You know what you ought to do? You ought to join it tonight. You ought to just find a counselor and say, look, we want to plan our lives this church. We want to join this church. I want to join this church. I want to be a part of it. Maybe you're a student. Uh, just come in from out of town. You want to join by Watch Care. Maybe you've been in this community for a long time. Maybe you're here for the very first time. This is your invitation to come join the church. And this is also an invitation to anybody here who's never trusted Jesus as Savior. Let me tell you how valuable God thinks your life is so much that Jesus came, died on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could have eternal life. If you would repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, you can have eternal life. And so I want to urge you tonight to come and receive this wonderful forgiveness, this wonderful life which Christ offers you, which comes if you'll turn from your way and turn to Christ. So come find a counselor and say, look, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm coming to trust Jesus tonight. Your personal invitation to say yes to Christ. You may have some friends with, about whom you're very worried, you're very concerned. Maybe this issue has touched your family. Maybe this issue has uh, touched some relative of yours. And you have a burden. Well, just come to this altar. This altar is open for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the fact that your word is... is um, you're not asking something here that it takes some kind of a, a brilliant person to figure out is important. You were just laying down a bedrock principle. It's this principle that distinguishes nations one from the other. Uh, Lord, it's this principle that has carried our nation along, the value of life. It's the, it's the principle that has distinguished armies, which would some would leave their wounded, but others would go back to get their wounded. And Lord, this principle has been the dividing line in all of history for every nation. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to embrace it tonight and I pray, Lord, now at this invitation time, you'd bring many people to this altar. I pray it in Jesus' name.